please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins." Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to conform, confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of the Lord. Very good. Well, Second Peter. I uh, want to give us all a little heads up where we're going to go. I'm going to work this a little bit different than some. We're not going to go straight through. We're actually going to spend a little bit of time on authorship, and then we're going to start at the end, and then we're going to hit a couple high points that we want to be looking for as we come all the way back through. I say that just so that uh, after I'm about 10 or 15 minutes in, when I say, okay, now we're going to start at verse 1, we're going to go pretty quickly from that point, so I don't want everybody to get nervous that uh, uh, we're, we're going to take forever. So we're going to talk about his authorship and why Second Peter, the urgency of his appeal, and then we're going to unpack the details of the text. I really like the book of Second Peter. Uh, the book of Second Peter, as I was preparing and, and Chris had asked me, you know, what passage I wanted to, to speak on. God just kept putting this on my heart. And this passage that we're covering uh, is specifically meaningful to me because there was a period of my time when I was struggling with some doubts and, and unfruitfulness in my time uh, as I was walking with the Lord. And as, a, as I was studying Second Peter and this calling and election and making it sure, there were some verses that preceded that that extremely convicted me and brought me front and center with the reality of the promises that are in the Scriptures. And so we'll, we'll look at those. Before I get into that, as I prepared for this lesson, I did not know the depth to which the authorship of Second Peter is questioned and challenged. 
I knew that it was questioned and challenged, but like every good home project I use as an excuse to buy a new power tool, uh, an opportunity like this I use as an excuse to invest in another book. So I acquired a couple more commentaries. And as I began to read them, the length and the amount of time that was devoted to authorship uh, was a little bit surprising to me. I actually had uh, Tom Schreiner from Southern Baptist uh, commentary, and he had authored it in 2003, but he had updated it in 2020. And so I actually emailed him, and he graciously responded back, and I had asked if he had changed any of his conclusions over the past 17 years, and he affirmed that he still held to his position. So some of the arguments against Second Peter's authorship are grounded in a few basic positions. And a lot of liberal scholars think that it was actually written by someone else, uh, the term pseudonymously. It's a big word. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but basically someone else writing on behalf of Second Peter, not as a scribe or as a secretary, but as someone who wrote this book with the intent of, you know, on behalf of Peter. Many believe that Second Peter has a heavy dependence on Jude as a source, and Jude is reckoned to be post-apostolic in its writing, which would place the time of the writing of Second Peter a little bit later, which would imply that Peter possibly was not still alive at that time. The language and writing style are different between First and Second Peter. Uh, basically, the argument is such that Second Peter's language is such that it is improbable by some arguments because there's so many uses of concepts from Greek culture that a Galilean fisherman would not have written this. I talked a little bit about the timing. Uh, first and second century is when the false teachers started really coming into the church, and so the, the meat of this uh, book in the middle is all about false teachers, so some people try to date the writing that it was later. The appeal in chapter 3 to the Pauline letters and writings implied by some that they had already started to collect together some of Paul's writings, which would imply that it was later. And then some commonality with external canonical writings, uh, and then also maybe roots in Roman Christianity, and then last the certain attestations of certain scholars and councils that in the second and fourth century. I am not trained in the languages, uh, and I do not have an extensive knowledge, so I lean heavily on those uh, commentators. But there's a lot of arguments that defend the authenticity also. First, chapter 1, verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, the letter itself attests to Peter's writing. If it was another writer, they might not have used the Hebrew form of his name, Simeon. They would have probably used the same that was used in 1 Peter. In chapter, four, or chapter 1, verse 14, Peter says that uh, in a moment, he's going to die. If you look there, it says, uh, I'm going to have to get my glasses out. As long as I'm in this body, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. If someone was writing pseudonymously, why would they include an imminent death? And then the claim in chapter 2 of being an eyewitness to the transfiguration, references to Paul as a beloved brother, would only occur if it were true. There's lots of external evidence also 
that uh, the, the conservative scholars do admit that it's not as much as some books, but there's a lot of it early on in the early writings. And uh, Second Peter seems to be cited by a lot of extra-biblical sources. And then lastly, we know that the early church fathers who gathered during that time were very close to this writing, much closer than we are, and they rejected a lot of writings. And so it was not on a whim that they would accept writings, and therefore the, uh, the choice to include it, even if there was debate, landed uh, that they had made that decision. So a final comment on it, uh, MacArthur, Douglas Moo from Wheaton, Schreiner from Southern, and a, a very current modern-day New Testament scholar, Kruger from Reformed Theological Seminary, all believe strongly that the evidence is not conclusive to overturn the claim of Peter's authorship. But I leave that with you that if you go to research this, you will find that there is a debate about authorship. So just so you know, I will approach this today with the same view of those commentators that I just mentioned and my own personal view that this Peter that wrote this gospel is the impetuous, compulsive, bold Peter that also denied his Lord, but yet was restored and was a tremendously shaping figure in the early church. I titled today's sermon, Diligence That Prevents Unfruitfulness and Provides Assurance. The definition of diligence that I found that I best liked is steady, earnest, and energetic effort. And we're going to refer to that uh, on numerous occasions as we go through the text. I have a lot of verses in Second Peter. As I mentioned to you earlier, it, was, it came to me at a critical time in my life. Some of them are some, the, 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 the testament to inerrancy. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried on by the Holy Spirit. That's in the last chapter of chapter 1, verse 21. All the way down towards the end of chapter 2 in verse 19, whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command that delivered to them. If we keep reading uh, back to a verse that I, in, in verse 5, verse 5 says, For this very reason make every effort. Implied inside that's this diligence, this energetic effort. Chapter 3, verse 1, Peter says he wants to stir up your sincere mind. In chapter 3, verse 14, be diligent to be found in him. And then back what we already read at the end of, of chapter 1 there of, of our text this morning where Peter says, uh, I intend always to remind you of these qualities as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So I kind of hope today as we go through this that you catch a little bit of this energy around getting stirred up for the Lord Jesus Christ, energetic for the Lord, serious about our faith. So let's, uh, Peter says that the end is near. He says, uh, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in them. I think it right as long as I'm in this body I know it's going to be soon, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time recall these things. I find it interesting that Peter here, it, he's saying, it's about, my time's about over. 
And he wants these things to be something we're reminded of. And these things are those preceding verses that we just talked through. He wants to make every effort. If someone finds out that their time is about over, that's a focusing event. Extremely focusing. Laser-like. I haven't been told that my time is the end, but I know people who have. Everything melts away at that point. It becomes very clear. So I think it's important that we listen to what Peter has to say. If, if he's chosen that of all the things he experienced, this is something he wants us to know, I think that's important. I have a tendency sometimes to procrastinate. Sometimes it's a decision, taxes, projects, financial planning, or maybe it's a conversation that needs to be had. Sometimes I find that the things I put off aren't always that hard or difficult. There's laziness that can creep in. But whenever the deadline comes and I get really focused around getting it done, I find sometimes how amazing it is at just how efficient I could be at getting it done. And then I wonder, why did I put it off so long? Has anyone ever heard the country music song, Live Like You Were Dying by Tim McGraw? Some of you may not, so I'm not going to uh, sing it for you, but I will read the, ver the first verse. He said, I was in my early 40s with a lot of time before me when a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays and talking about the options and talking about sweet time. I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the real end. How's it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what do you do? And he said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper. And I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness that I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. And there's many verses to that. I mean, the lyrics of this song are easy to relate to, right? Um, I guess all of us have that bucket list. All of us have those things that we would love to do, these things about this world we would love to experience. Maybe it's climb a 14er in, in Colorado, or it's shoot the rapids on a, a white, ra uh, uh, like a white rapids with a raft. Um, whatever it may be, a, a certain vacation. I know that we all have things that we're putting off for a future time. If I were to be faced with this type of shaping event, you know, what would it compel me toward? So the very first application question I have for us today is, are there important things, maybe spiritual matters, I am putting off or delaying that I should be acting on now? Are there important spiritual matters I am putting off or delaying that I should be acting on now? And if I were faced with a finite amount of time, what are the most important things I would want to impart to my kids, my family, or my friends? Now, a couple of points. Let's look at verse 8 really quick. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being unproductive and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say certainly no one wakes up in the morning, rolls out of bed, and says, today I want to make this an unfruitful day for the Lord. 
Today I would like to be ineffective for Christ. But sometimes I feel like there are seasons in my own life and maybe in yours where when you come up from air, from the busyness of life and the things that are going on, you find that maybe you're right in a place you did not intend to be. Maybe the fruit we're producing is not quite the abundance or the productivity in the Lord is not quite where he had hoped and maybe it has waned. A few weeks ago, Chuck spoke. He talked about redeeming the time. This is one thing we can't get more of. It's a finite resource while here on earth, while we're bound in these bodies. So I think while we're here, when he talked about redeeming the time, being fruitful and productive for the Lord would be a goal. And I do think it's very important that Peter chose to, instead of the positive, to say, do these things and they will make you productive or make you fruitful. I think there's a reason, and I'll explain it at the very end, why he says keep you from ineffectiveness and keep you from unfruitfulness. So now let's look at verse 1 and 2. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So the very first question I have is, is this letter written to you? It says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that you? Last week, Ed spoke. Ed did an amazingly wonderful job establishing the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ. He is seated at the right hand of God. Ed referred to him as the Savior who has risen, reigning, and returning. Do you know him? This is the most urgent question that we could ask ourselves today is, is this letter written to you? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And do you know him in a transforming way? There is no other question that can even remotely compare to that question, and it needs to be answered. The scriptures say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Peter, who wrote this book in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts chapter 4, it says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the last part of that section, those people who were observing said, they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is critical. It's critical. That song I talked about earlier is really a lot about, you know, something about the world, but I would encourage us that one of the things that's most important is do not delay in coming to the Lord. The reason I say that is we are all dying. Unless the Lord returns soon, every one of us in this room will die. There's only two questions that remain to that fact. When and how. And I would submit to you, you're going to die in one of two ways. 
You're either going to die in Christ and known by Him, or you will die separated from Christ and forever not known by Him. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 says, The last day many will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Either way, we will die. We will either experience the presence of God eternally from that point on, or we will be forever separated. It's incredibly important. Whether you're young or old in this room, wherever you're at in that, do not delay that decision any longer. If you have questions about this, grab somebody after the service and inquire. If you have uncertainties, get them, get them questioned. Get them answered. Chapter, verse 2 says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And and so if you have obtained that faith, then grace and peace be multiplied to you. As I have grown in my own walk over time, I find that when you first come to know the Lord, you understand grace. But as you continue to try to walk in the Lord, and as we strive to walk in the Lord, what I found in my own walk is then grace becomes more and more amazing because I understand the depths to which I was saved from because of my sinful nature. Let grace never, ever, ever lose the amazing aspect. We must always be reminded that it is by God's grace we are saved. And peace is there for us. Grace and peace be multiplied to us. You know, we're no longer at war with God. We're, we're living for Him, walking in agreement with Him. We're actually called to not put off dying. We're called to die to self today and live for Christ. To throw off the entanglements of this world and to live at peace serving the Lord, walking in agreement with Him. The knowledge that's referred to here is rich, thorough knowledge of God. It's not nearly knowing about God. It's knowing God. There's a huge difference between knowing about and knowing. Let's keep reading verse 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That was one of the convicting verses for me. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room, does it? it says we have all things through his power, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, he granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The NIV reads, everything we need. This struck me hard many years back. But it says, everything I need through the knowledge of him. That's the third or fourth time I've said through the knowledge of him. And, 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 and I've emphasized knowing this book is just saturated with through the knowledge of Him. It's all about through the knowledge of Him. Him being the Lord. It says we can overcome. At the very end there it says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Escaped. Overcome. Corruption. Decay. Sinful desire. The NASB says lust. So this strong desire for the world. 
Think about it, whether we're managing our own eating habits or we have strong desires for something, we begin to put controls in place and we stop eating sugar and, and at the beginning it's really, really hard, right? And then over the course of time when you try to do something like that, you begin to lose the taste. And that's how it is when we come to know the Lord. We lose, we lose the taste and love for things that we, we used to want to pursue and we go after the things that we used to not love. That's meanings is transforming, and that's what we're going to talk about now. We're going to read these next set of uh, increasing qualities. But first, before that, the application question is, am I living in His power, progressing in my ability to escape the corruption from sinful desire? I think that section of verses would say, am I living in His power to escape the corruption of sinful desire? For this very reason, chapter five, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly kind, affection, with, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are not saved by doing these things. But when we are saved, we desire to do these things. And through these things, we can find assurance in our walk with the Lord and strength to overcome. Let's look at some of these. Moral excellence, courageous deeds, excellent fulfillment of a task. Philippians 3.14, Paul talks about pressing on towards the, the prize in uh, knowledge. This is that divine truth, the truth of Scripture properly understood and applied, diligent study and meditation, self-control, self-discipline and restraint, but it's also an athletic term. So when you think about self-control, a lot of times what comes to my mind, I'm a passionate person, so I know where my most struggles are. You know, sometimes I can get a little bit energetic around things at work if they're not going, to, going quite my way. And so I have to manage my responses sometimes, self-control. I had four kids as a parent. Sometimes you have to manage self-control. But it's also a positive. What are we doing? What are we putting in? It's like, it's like a training. It's like athletics. Not only do you control you, you, what, you, what kind of diet you put in place. You know? So self-control is more about a positive and a negative. It's not just restraining. It's also putting in so that the outcome is controlled. Steadfastness. Perseverance, patience, remaining strong in unwelcome toil or hardship. The voluntary and daily suffering of hard and difficult things for the sake and honor of usefulness for our Lord. Godliness. That's a tough word for me. You know, Christ-likeness. We are called to that, but it seems like a tall order. But if you understand that reference, it's not just about, it is about being Christ-like, but it's also true worship. 
I think properly honoring and adoring God, a life oriented around bringing God honor. If we are achieving godliness, what it means is that our life is becoming oriented around all things God and all things God's honor. And so we are hypersensitive to sin and things that would dishonor God. We grow more and more and more closer and closer to God, wanting to bring Him true and honor worship in all that we do, whether at work or at play. Brotherly kindness and love are, are linked very close together. Concern, affections for others, the ability to extend grace, the concern for the lost. It says if we possess these qualities and are increasing, they keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful. And that's a place I want to be. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. And then in the end it says, For in this way there will be richly provided for us an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the goal, isn't it? That's the excitement. That's the end game. To be welcomed into the presence of God. As I said earlier, it's just not saying we're saved by doing these things. We're saved by belief in Jesus Christ. But I think by doing these things, they can provide assurance for us. Calvin said that the believers should satisfy themselves mentally about their calling and election, which is true. But there's also an objective reality about coming into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that these things objectively happen in your life. We are transformed and impacted. I also think that I would uh, share with you that this passage of Scripture doesn't leave a lot of room for I used to. And I have found lately that there are some things in my life where I'm saying I used to. The other day, just sharing with a brother here, I said, you know, I used to go on mission trips. <laughs> when you think about that, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a weak comment, isn't it? Well, I used to go. There was a time... This says that these qualities should be increasing. There's nothing about serving and, you know, retiring or, you know, going on a, on a vacation from the Lord in this verse. It doesn't leave us that option, does it? It says that we are to be about the business of God. So as we started, this letter is written to believers, those who have found a faith of equal standing with Peter and other believers. So first, the question is, do you know him? And then when you look here, are you growing? Knowing, growing, saved and assured. This is the tension in this passage that I see today. Now, I want to come back to this, why I think Peter wrote, keep you from, as opposed to make you. I assume most everybody here has been to the beach. When you're at the beach and you're out there and you go out into the water and you got a you know, body board or you're going to you know, body surf or you throw the frisbee and you're playing around and you're having a great time, the waves are just constantly coming in and you're jumping and you're having a great time. And if you've been out there 20 or 30 minutes, it's, it's not uncommon to look up. And when you look up and you're looking for your tent or you know, where, where you had your, your, your belongings set up, you, you, do, you don't see them. And you, and you look back up the, up, the, up, the, up the beach a little ways, and there they are. 
Well, they're back up there. But, but I originally walked in the water straight out in front of there, so how did I wound up down here? You know, the currents and that constant, you know, the currents down there is you're, you're, you're constantly being pulled a little bit down, down the coast. Those waves just continue to kind of move you. In a river or in a creek where there's a current, if you stop paddling, what happens? You drift. See, I think it's important, Peter said, these things keep you from, and I think there's a reason for that, because we are of Adam. We have a sin nature. And if we're not continuing to actively put in effort, we can find ourselves in a place where we never intended to be. The waves of sin here on this earth continue to hit. They continue to pound. Every day you read about something else in the news, you're just shocked. You can't believe. I, I just understand. There's just this constant, ever-present effort of the world to wear us down and to help us to not be so pursuing Christ. It's accept this, accept that. And if we're not careful, these continual barrages, if we stop putting in the energy, we will float. If we, let's just put it this way. If I quit paddling, am I going to drift towards holiness? Leave a group of teenagers unattended. Do they drift towards holiness? Not unless there's someone in that group who is continually pulling them back. I've raised four kids. So, the worst case is the current would overwhelm us, pull us out to sea. But I don't think that's likely if we've truly known Jesus Christ. And we are embracing these commands by Peter to, if we have these qualities in our life, it will keep us, keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful. And so that's, that's the, what I want to end with here today. And the question for us is, is, are we pursuing these things diligently? Are we making every effort so that we can bring the Lord more and more honor in all that we do? Let's pray. Gracious and merciful God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of having it. Pray that you would allow each of us to be encouraged and strengthened as we hear it and as we seek to gain deeper knowledge of you through it. And I just pray uh, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.